You're listening to the Gov Future podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, we talk to Landon Van Dyke, Senior Advisor for the Office of Management, Strategy and Solutions at U.S. Department of State. We talk about the technology and data challenges of managing a highly distributed agency, how to achieve effective digital transformation in an environment of constant change, and ways in which the agency is adopting emerging technologies such as AI, automation, and advanced analytics. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the Gov Future podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And thank you guys so much. We've heard from many of you about some of our previous podcasts. As you know, we've been going strong here at Gov Future Podcast. This is now several dozen episodes and just started uh, earlier in 2023. And it's actually amazing how many interviews we've had, not just with the U.S. federal folks who are doing innovative stuff, but also state and local uh, innovations. Many of you really enjoyed our interview with the, the city manager from the city of Winchester, Virginia. Didn't even know that they were doing all those interesting things in his previous background, uh, doing autonomous vehicle projects for Gainesville, Florida. So these are some things you may not have learned, or even the recent interview uh, with the folks at the court department, uh, the court system at Maricopa County, and some of the really phenomenal things they're doing. And of course, lots of great interviews uh, with all the civilian and defense agencies in the U.S. are probably doing things that you might have expected and some of the things you haven't. So keep giving us that feedback. We want to hear from you. I think you will expect to see Gov Future, uh, our podcast out, not only here online, but you may actually see us because we're now starting to be on the road a little bit. You may see our, our little show up at some various events doing some live podcasting on site. And if you're listening to this and you'd like us to do some live podcasting, perhaps at your event, we are open to these things uh, because the whole purpose of Gov Future is to provide insights into what's happening with innovative technology impacting the public sector and ways that technology is shaping the future for you, our listeners, and our Gov Future members. Exactly. So if you are not familiar with Gov Future, it is the fastest growing community of government innovators. You can learn more at govfuture.com and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But as Ron mentioned, we are you know, really engaged with the entire community. So you will see us and our members out and about because that's the whole point of this, right? To connect people. So that's why we have this podcast as well, because we'd like to bring those insights from all levels of government and the public sector ecosystem to the podcast so that folks can learn from others. So for today's podcast, we're excited to have with us Landon Van Dyke, who is Senior Advisor for the Office of Management, Strategy, and Solutions at U.S. Department of State. Welcome, Landon, and thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited for the discussion today. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and what you do now at U.S. Department of State. Sure. So my title is Senior Advisor um, at the U.S. Department of State. I work for uh, the office within the management and operations uh, division for the department. And most of the time I'm given challenges of how to uh, basically start new things up, uh, merge new technologies into our operations and try to solution out um, 
ways to overcome a lot of the challenges that we have in the field, uh, which includes obviously our global presence, which you know, we're in about 190 countries around the world. Um, we're in about 274 cities, uh, you know, worldwide. And so we have lots of logistics, operations, and, and challenges um, all over the map. So um, it makes my job more uh, interesting every day when I get in. And uh, every time I leave, I think, oh, nothing could be more challenging than that. And then the next day I show up and sure enough, there's something new. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing about, you know, the world continues to change in unpredictable ways. And it's kind of almost hard to keep up, not only with the uh, the, the news cycle of what's happening, global changes, uh, social, you know, political issues, eco economic issues, ecological and environmental issues, everything from, you know, we have uh, uh, different challenges. It's even hard to understand, pandemics, you know, so many mm -hmm. things that you could never have even imagined maybe a decade or two ago. Maybe some of those things, but some of the other things you might've been like, well, let's, let's save that for science fiction novels, but here we are today. And I think, you know, in addition to that, the world of technology is changing rapidly. It's almost hard to even keep up with that. Like every day there's a new evolution of something. And it seems like if you just blink, uh, the technology has rapidly evolved. So there's lots of simultaneous change happening. I think this actually brings up really the next question here, this question, which is like in this era where all these things are changing and we have the mo movement to digital transformation and we have this idea of AI and automation and advanced analytics. You know, how how do you see uh, things like, you know, automation in particular, especially in what you're talking about, which is all the distributed offices all over the place, maybe not necessarily all the talent you need. People are working now, even pandemic remotely, the, the changes to the work environment. How have these things enhanced and changed perhaps the effectiveness and the efficiency of what you're the problems you're trying to solve there at, at the State Department? Wonderful question. Uh, everything is everything is everywhere. That's that's the answer. Um, I would say for digital transformation, you know, just the idea of all of this knowledge coming in and um, on a constant basis. I mean, many of our officers, our foreign affairs or foreign service officers are writing reports. They're 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 essentially observing what's going on around the world in every every corner. And they're writing reports, they're writing uh, analysis, they're writing briefs. And all of that information ends up as a repository in our, our data centers, but it's extremely hard for then an officer who's now briefing the secretary or an assistant secretary somewhere or a negotiator, all of this information, they just, they can't get their, their arms around it anymore. And so for a lot of, a lot of the, the new data that's coming in, we're looking for different ways to just uh, essentially use like an AI or a predictive analytics to say, hey, we understand you're going to write a report about this or you're going to brief on this. Here's the information in the last 48 hours that has been accumulated both by social media, by uh, foreign affair officers writing their analysis, by uh, people on the Hill speaking about it or people at the White House speaking about it. Here's the, uh, the accumulation of the information that you need to know before you go and brief. And it's it's huge, right? So, just to make it more efficient and and faster for us to be able to have a full handle on things, um, digital transformation is is it's both 
it's a double-edged sword. You know, it's giving us lots of information, but we also are able to use it uh, in an effective way to communicate better and have a better understanding of knowledge of our of our subject matter. Um, in our operations, one of the things I love very much is uh, our Internet of Things network and activities. You know, we especially during the pandemic. Um, people were not always going into buildings. They were not always going into facilities, but we still needed to keep our embassies running and we still needed to keep our facilities functioning um, and enabling people to remote in and manage those buildings, manage the equipment that's running, whether it's a building automation system, whether it's the inverters for solar panels um, that are on, on an embassy uh, garage, um, our air monitoring program, which lets us know what the air quality is around the world. All of those things require uh, remote access and, and digital management of, of their function. And so, again, we use those, um, those tools to make our operation more efficient, make sure that we're, we're spending less energy, we're using less fuel for our fleet because we can manage our fleet better and we understand what they're actually doing. Um, Right now, we're, we're actually looking at EVs. We're trying to understand a little bit more about the information we can get from EVs, understand the driving patterns and the safety patterns of our drivers, um, and, of course, understand how we can make, um, how we can share that information so we can get the right vehicle in the right terrain. You know, so, you know, we have 14,000 vehicles around the world. Um, not all vehicles belong in, uh, you know, it's not a one-size-fit-all. You know, we have different terrain, obviously, and we need to understand that when we send out a particular car, it's going to actually last and, and function and help hit the mission. And in the past, we never we never really knew. We just kind of kind of guessed and said, ah, we think these type of vehicles don't last very long, but we didn't have the data pro to, to support us and uh, to back up that assumption. So, again, digital transformation gives us gobs of information. Um, and for us to be able to run the analytics on it and make uh, informed decisions is is critical. And it's just uh, one one more piece of data every day that comes in, and they say, "How can we how can we incorporate this into our mission?" And that's what makes it challenging. Yeah, you know, and it, I mean, I think that the government, any different agency that you're in, is no stranger to data. And I think organizations of just about any size now, you know, public and private sector, know the importance of data, but also how much data is created on a daily basis. And also one thing in your previous response that really resonated was speed, right? That you are getting a lot of this data, but you need to be able to make sense of it at the speed that's needed, uh, especially certain things that may be more critical than others. So specifically, how does Department of State leverage emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence or advanced analytics to help gain insights that you need from this data to make those informed decisions, especially ones that need to be, you know, done with speed, which maybe is practically instantly in some cases? It's mm -hmm. a great question. The Emerging technologies, uh, especially when it comes to AI, um, advanced analytics, everybody's always ready to jump on the, the bandwagon and say, hey, let's use this new tool to analyze data. Um, and what they realize, of course, is their data really isn't ready to be analyzed. You know, you're, it's, it's, it's 
a little bit of the, the cart before the horse activity. For the last, I'd say, four or five years, um, the State Department has gone through some transformation on data uh, management and advanced analytics. We, we created a center called the Center for Analytics, very novel name. Um, and it basically looks at our data across the enterprise and looks for different ways for us to access it and share it. Um, and then limit what we're sharing, depending upon, you know, if it's if it's personal information versus if it's intel information. How do we access that information, mark it down for what it's use, useful for, and then bring it into an analytic um, environment where we can then do some advanced analytics, use AI uh, to understand things like, um, you know, is there fraud in, in passport applications or visa applications? You know, we used AI and advanced analytics during COVID to track um, American citizens that we were repatriating back to the U.S. because they needed to leave those countries um, because they couldn't get the medical care that they were looking for. Um, most, most recently, I, I would have to say for AI in general, the trend has been to try to use AI on cybersecurity. Um, whether that is zero trust activity where we're trying to understand the behavior of every individual that accesses our network so that we can then predict whether this person is the real person or not. So for myself, you know, I get up in the morning at five and I check my email because, you know, everybody should get up at five in the morning to check their work email. And I will do it from uh, Old Town where my, my, my home is. And then all of a sudden, a couple months later, um, somebody at 12 at midnight in Peru is checking my email. And then the system should sit there and go, wait a minute. I don't believe that's his pattern. I don't believe that's him. And we're going we're gonna to do a little extra checking to see if this person's the real person. That's kind of where uh, the department and, of course, the federal government is going with AI and cyber right now. We're looking for patterns that are not... Um, we're looking for anomalies that don't fit the pattern. And so for the State Department, we've used uh, AI for uh, predictive analytics to understand things. Like as I was saying before, for IoT, you know, we need to know when a building's about to fail. We need to know if a generator's about to fail. We need to understand um, if our vehicle fleet, uh, again, is the wrong vehicle for the, for the environment. For information uh, sharing for negotiations for foreign policy, we'd like to know, again, is this the right information? You need to be able to predict this is the information you're looking for. You know, we're, we're even looking at, hey, are there ways we can predict uh, the voting pattern of countries in the UN? Fun things like that. Um, but again, that's a lot of it's advanced analytics. It's not even AI. Um, but the State Department has been putting together these tools of access and controls um, so that they are able to do more of this type of activity. And over the last four or five years, uh, the department's been able to make a lot of headway in being able to show um, even things like remote uh, remote uh, work. You know, we can show uh, with the analytics, here's the data to inform our decision makers on how many people or who should really uh, be doing remote work versus who should actually be on the ground um, on site, right? So those are the type of um, decisions that we're making with a lot more advanced analytics and, and cleaner data, more accessible data. 
Yeah, that's great. Actually, the Center for Analytics sounds really interesting. Uh, maybe we can dive into it later and learn more about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think it's actually kind of nice because we've had so many conversations with so many different agencies and departments here on Gut Future. And as well, we run an in-person event series for those that are in the D.C. region called the Gov Future Forum, where we actually get a lot of these government folks to, to demo, to actually show and tell what they are doing in their various agencies. It's kind of nice. You get to see uh, demos like we had the folks from IRS demoing uh, the actual new IRS Gov system, Department of Interiors demoing their, uh, RO, their RPA bots. We've had Department of Homeland Security demoing some really cool thing. We've had uh, different state governments demoing stuff, a lot of healthcare and public health. A lot of cool things. If you love show and tell, you should definitely uh-huh. come. We, we do make recordings available for our Gov Future members as well and things like that so you can see it. But one of the common themes has always been around data, data sharing. It doesn't matter how advanced the technology is, AI, RPA, advanced analytics, quantum, I'll just throw that in. It still <laughs> has to do with data because you know, bad you can't do much with bad data. Data is sort of the, the core element that we used to build all these things on top of. So I'm glad you mentioned that uh, the Center for Analytics. Maybe there's some good information sharing. We'll talk a little bit about that between sure. And departments, but actually, first, getting on, staying on this data theme here for a moment, uh, because data sharing is very important. And I think I think the questions have to do with like, okay, how do we, how do a- agencies and organizations and folks like the, the Department of State, when you're dealing with so much information collected from so many different sources across various domains and regions, with of course varying levels of quality, we all know that. How how do you handle the issues of data sharing and data privacy, security, in some cases trying to prevent people from accessing this data, and in some cases needing to access data that you may yourself not have uh, the ability to, to access? How do you deal with these issues and data confidentiality and all that sort of stuff in the context of all this data? Well, we, we start with the boring stuff, which actually ends up being much longer than people would like, which, of course, is, to, is you have to have good data governance and good policy around how do you handle data. Um, and you have to have agreement among all of your various divisions within your enterprise and beyond. You know, this is this is how we're going to take the information. This is how we're going to understand what the information is for. This is the control gates that we're going to have in place. And a lot of this is really just policy and thinking it through um, ver- before you even get the vendors in, right? You get the vendors in and the technology. And um, I've been in many shops where I've seen, uh, you know, the technology ends up leading the policy. And that's never a really good uh, recipe for, for effective um, action. And so for the department, especially for the Center for Analytics, you know, we have an enterprise data um, council, which brings in all of the major data uh, players for the department. And then they go through all of the minutia of, hey, I have this type of data. How are we going to treat this? You know, how are we going to treat even small things like, hey, what do we want to call the Embassy of London, right? Like, you know, all of these different programs are going to want to go and come up with a different name. Everybody always has a various... Uh, variation of a name, but we actually have an official name for the U.S. Embassy in London, right? We actually have an official uh, full title for the chief of mission at that embassy. And uh, when you bring in all of these other tools into a large enterprise like the State Department, 
uh, vendors tend to, you know, try to create new names because they're, they're thinking of things on the fly. And all of a sudden, we don't have a standard, that easy standard to just say, hey, what's the name of the U.S. Embassy in London, right? So what we end up having to do is create a master uh, data uh, record, a master record data set that basically says, here's the master record. Here's where you go. If you have an API within your technology, just zip over here, pull that information in and incorporate it into your technology. But something like that, if your your agency or your organization hasn't even thought about something that small, you're going to go down the road with lots of different technologies down the road and they're going to try to integrate with each other and they can't because they don't have that common uh, standard of how to, how to refer to the Embassy of London or, you know, um, a vehicle. For me, it's, all, it's always uh, IoT stuff. So I'm always like, hey, what's the standard, uh, what's the, what's the standard code for uh, the Suburban, right? Or what's the standard code for a Tesla? Um, we have those. So that way, anybody that's creating any type of technology down the road or is making a reference to it, whether it's in accounting, whether it's in fleet management, whether it's in um, acquisitions, they all know exactly what they're referring to. But again, it's extremely boring because you have to sit there and write write out the policy. Yeah, I think it's you know important to bring that up though because sometimes it's you know th- those boring, mundane things that need to get done and need to not be skipped or you know looked over because it really is. You know, we're saying like data management 101, right? You need to make sure that everybody's trained on this, knows what they're doing, and that you're not having these data integration issues farther down the road because you may be, you know, investing heavily in some of these technologies, some of these data sets, only to find out that there's, you know, not that single source of truth, right? Where there's, you know, different names for the same thing. So it is important to bring up and you're right. It isn't always like that, you know, quote unquote, sexy thing that people want to talk about and really dive into. And it's not what gets attention, but it's really critical to get done. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's funny because I was, I was talking to a, I believe it was a, I believe it was a physicist the other day. And we were actually commenting that the, um, the infrastructure for all of our all of our society, if it's done right, you don't have to over-engineer uh, things that uh, go beyond infrastructure. So if you if you actually have a good data standard, for instance, you don't have to over-engineer a translator on top of uh, your your standard. You could say, hey, if the standard for London is X. I don't need a translator that says, well, if it says anything out there that says London, go back and translate it to the letter X, right? So you end up over having to over-engineer a lot of things because you didn't do your underlying infrastructure correctly. And so it's one of the one of the things we're trying to prevent at the State Department. And Center for Analytics is definitely leading the way on that. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I've been there myself being a former enterprise architect and sort of the role of the data architect in some ways was to set up just the the design patterns for systems. But as usual, uh, well, what would inevitably happen is someone would come up with like, this is the de facto, this is the way that all information will be represented. Remember, we had things like knowledge repositories and metadata stores. But of course, nothing ever worked out that way because the moment you tried to integrate with 
some other data source that you did not control that you cannot say that then we have this problem. Actually, in some ways, uh, interestingly enough, this is kind of where some of the ideas of natural language processing and AI, you know, sort of the more sort of basic tenets actually do help because we could say, well, the computer doesn't understand these words either, but it has this intermediate representation. And we're like, oh, it could in some ways get us away from trying to do that heavy handed approach where we have sort of the the knowledge master who tries to establish control, which of course we know that doesn't work. So <laughs> it doesn't always work. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, and even this idea of augmented intelligence, where we talk about, you're not replacing the human, but you're just helping them do their job better with artificial intelligence. This can also be a great use case for that, where you're able to have artificial intelligence help you with what things should be called, for example, mm -hmm. so that everybody is at least on the same page. Yeah. Uh, AI can help you identify a, a pattern that they see across the enterprise. Like most people call it this. And then you can kind of refer back over and say, okay, I guess that's going to be the standard then. Exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah. You know, we also, we talk about, um, a lot, you know, that the, the global nature of Department of State's work and how, you know, you mentioned you're in 190 different countries, over 200 different cities across the globe. Uh, but specifically with, you know, federal agencies and international governments, how does the State Department collaborate with these other agencies and other governments to share information and leverage technology effectively? And I guess what are some of the challenges also that you run into and how do you effectively overcome that? especially given the conversation that we just had around data? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Well, the nice thing about U.S. embassies, especially overseas, is that we're not, it's not only the State Department at those embassies, right? You know, other federal agencies occupy space at a U.S. embassy. And in fact, it's, you know, it's essentially the U.S. headquarters in that country. You know, you're going to find commerce there. You're going to find DHS there. You're going to find... Um, egg there, and they will use our backbone infrastructure, our IT infrastructure, uh, to support their mission as well. And so we do have an advantage of uh, we are in the same room per se, but um, every agency has its own enterprise tools, and that's where the challenge becomes. So, you know, we can give um, the Department of Commerce access to the internet. Um, but we can't give them, and we can probably give them direct access to the Department of Commerce's intranet. Um, but it becomes more of a challenge on, on the security front on how we integrate something like that. So um, even at, during COVID, when we had a couple of agencies uh, that included, I believe the, the FAA and some other agencies where we were tracking flights, it still became a, a challenge for us to share information among um, federal agencies to say, hey, here's the flight with the Americans and then sharing that information with uh, people are just tracking flights or tracking transports or tracking medicine. Um, it did become a problem. Um, Fortunately, technology, you know, IT technology has invented things like the API, which became uh, extremely important um, in the last decade. Prior to that, uh, I'm sure uh, Ron could probably tell you about how we kind of hand jam things together. Uh, to <laughs> um, 
but yeah, having things where we can go to the cloud, um, we can access things, just give me the internet, I can access our stuff by going to the cloud and getting it. Um, these are the type of technologies that have helped the, the federal government start to merge its information together and start to share its information. Um, secure APIs, it's a, it's a huge win. Now, if we can just get the, um, the industry to, to be able to um, come, come around a universal plug for an API, that'd be great. Uh, there's so many different tools that are out there that we run into and we have to over-engineer how we, how we onboard that data into our system or offboard our data into their system. Um, so, but yes, we're using a lot of new technologies such as APIs to, to monitor who's accessing the data, you know, being able to issue security keys and say, okay, you guys can access this data from this time frame to this, this, this time frame, And that from there, we understand the pattern um, and going back to using AI to understand our pattern for cybersecurity, it helps secure a lot more. Um, we still do run into issues with um, agencies trying to use their own network within our network or use their network to access our data on our network. Um, but those things are starting to pan out. We're starting to see um, uh, a lot more um, ver merging uh, to, to cloud and then finding a gateway in the cloud to, to, to complete that, that last mile. Interesting. I like the metaphor, finding the gateway in the cloud. <laughs> Actually, I mean, I know we're talking technologically gateway, but I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of nice. And it's find the parting of the clouds. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's a nice little visual. Uh, well, well, that was really great. I, and I think, you know, a lot, as I mentioned, it's interesting because we're talking about the specific stuff that you're responsible for and your problems, your challenges. But of course, we have these conversations. I think a lot of our listeners can internalize and thinking, hey, I have a lot of the same challenges, whether you know, it's Department of Defense or Interior or Census Bureau or, you know, State of Virginia and New Hampshire or you know, Arizona or whether it's, you know, uh, you know, Maryland or, you know, some tiny city somewhere. I think everybody for, has many their own version of many of these challenges. So I think it's good for folks to hear uh, how others are approaching them. So I, I guess like, you know, sort of the sort of the last little bit here on the topic of data and technology, really the question has to do a little bit with transparency because um, people are, are becoming more aware of their own data footprint, you know, the data that they that they store that's stored about them and the data that's being shared but with others, as well as you know, how data is being combined in new ways. I think that's the other interesting thing about this sort of AIs now become part of the popular zeitgeist, especially when people are starting to generate images and they recognize like, well, where did that source of that data come from? People are becoming more aware of this. So so to, to some extent, and we talked a little bit about this in the context of data governance when you were talking about this, but what, you know, how are you looking at issues of transparency and accountability, especially as 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 it are, as it rises up with terms of data collection and data storage and data exchange? Perhaps even some other foreign governments might not have the same protections or expectations when it comes to issues of data transparency and privacy. And there's always these concerns about, well, what is being shared by our government to other governments who may not respect privacy or by other governments that they may not respect their you know, citizens' privacy. How, how do you approach these sort of mm -hmm. complicated issues of transparency and accountability? Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but it goes back to, it really does go back to the governance. Um, 
When we were looking at a couple of years ago, uh, the first iteration of AI being deployed around uh, the federal government, uh, there was um, a executive order that came out and basically highlighted, here are some guidelines that we'd like to see when you're deploying AI. And I would say that the guideline could have actually extended just to data itself. Um, A lot of it required that if I was going to use an AI, whatever, I needed to have a scope of work designated prior to even deploying it, testing it out. We were like, okay, here's the scope. This is what its function is. And then here's how we're going to audit whether it's hitting its mark, if it's actually meeting the function of that AI. Here is how we're going to have transparency in the coding and what we predict the outcome should always be if we wanted to do a a zero-based audit, like reconfigure it back to zero, what should be able to do. The same thing goes with data, right? So if you have a data set, you need to have a definition and scope. This data set can be used for this. It, It can provide you this type of information. It can provide you this type of insight it cannot provide you this type of insight, right? So many times when we're talking to people that have data across the the State Department, they're afraid to give up their data. And many times it's not because they, you know, they don't want to share it. They're just afraid it's going to be interpreted incorrectly or in a way which it was not designed for or was not maintained or collected for. And good governance uh, basically assures the data owners, here's how the data is going to be used, here's its scope of work, and if anybody wants to use it, they need to go to this process, right? And if they go through this process and they want to use it differently, they have to go through this process and get it verified by the data owner. Otherwise, the data owner can say, nope, that's not what the data was intended for, you can't you can't use it that way. Um, that all relies on governance and having that infrastructure in place. When it comes to, obviously, American citizen data, we don't share that with with foreign governments. So, I mean, that's kind of within scope, right? What we say, <laughs> or it's out of scope. We, we just don't share that. Um, but when it comes to sharing information with the American public, you know, we have a long tradition of saying, hey, if it's part of the U.S. government, your tax dollars generated it, we will share it. If we can, you know, if it doesn't uh, affect national security, we'll share it, with, you know, with you. Um, the air quality program I referenced uh, earlier basically takes advantage of, of that, that philosophy where we said, hey, we have an air monitor in Beijing to understand what the air quality is for U.S. employees living in Beijing. Want to know, hey, does the family have the ability to take their kids out and play soccer today, right? Or should the workers on the the grounds be working outside today? We don't know if it's healthy enough for them. We use the air monitor. But then we said, look, we have a uh, responsibility to share that information with American citizens. It's not just for our, you know, operational use. We can share that with American citizens, which ultimately we shared it with the entire public. So then the entire public within Beijing was able to sit there and go, oh, very, inf- very in- interesting information. We probably don't want to go outside today. But that goes back to the question of integrity and transparency of the actual data. 
which required us to then harden that information and make sure that we can audit it at any time and then prove to people it is accurate information. You know, you cannot, you know, you can hold us accountable for the accuracy of this information. So all that to say, it really goes back to governance of, of the data and then understanding the scope uh, of work for that data and then coming up with policies around it so that you are protecting both the integrity and, and intent of the data, but also anybody, you know, if it's referencing anybody in particular personal, we have to be able to protect that as well. So does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think that that is incredibly important because, uh, you know, for around a decade or so now, I think people have really started to understand their data footprint a lot more, start questioning things a lot more. And so you're right to the point and the extent that you can be, be transparent about it, but it really does come down to data governance. I mean, we talk, you know, it's all about the data. We continue to generate data just at an astronomical rate. So how, if you don't have those data governance, uh, you know, in place, if you don't have a good data governance in place, then you're really going to feel that ripple down effect. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were, we were talking in, in this kind of leads into the, the question of ethics of AI, but I won't I won't go down that road because that's a that's a that's a whole nother thing. But I will point out that I was talking with a colleague from the VA, and they were highlighting the fact that they have a lot of great information on the health of individuals who have been in service, um, and they can run machine learning and algorithms and and and, and generate some AI um, algorithms off of this data. But they are very weary of people taking those algorithms and applying them elsewhere in the population because they say, hey, look, we have data on veterans. These are people from the age of 18 to 40 or 50, right? And there's a certain type of health regimen that they have throughout their, their tenure within the service. And that's gonna give you a different type of algorithm than if you're going to drop that into the main population and expect it to, to function the exact same way that it's going to function for us. And they were, they were talking about, well, what is the ethical um, challenge that we have and what's the governance challenge we have to ensure that that data um, is used in the appropriate way. And so very similar. Yeah. And that is, you know, why we love to have these podcasts. We love to have our GovFutureForum DC in-person events because it really is about collaboration. And the amount of people that listen to the podcast and then reach out to us or are at our events and want to be connected with others is really exciting because that's the whole point of this, right? And they hear what other agencies are doing or how they're using data, how they're leveraging different technologies, and they want in on that as well. And this really is about, you know, collaboration, sharing, learning from others. And this is a platform for folks to be able to share. So we always love to hear when, uh, you know, other agencies are learning from others and talking to others and gaining all of that, uh, you know, knowledge sharing. So we, we do always love that. So thanks for bringing that up. Before we wrap up this podcast, because I know we could go on forever, but we do need to wrap it up. We always like to end with the same question to all our guests, because you're able to bring in your different experiences and backgrounds to provide your take on this answer. So what do you see or hope to see as the future of technology and innovation in the government? Well, that's a loaded question. I love it. Um, (laughs) 
I, I, I would say that in government, you know, our, our, our biggest activity is service, whether that's a service directly to uh, the U.S. citizens or uh, directly contributing to the mission um, at hand. Many times when we're trying to do that service, we're being held up because in service, we're also responsible to be held accountable and we have to report our, our activities and we have to do all the bureaucratic um, activities around the mission to preserve uh, the integrity of the mission. But that holds us up. It slows us down. And so I would look at technology as a way to free us up so we can get back to working on the mission rather than I'm filling out all of the paperwork for my travels or if I'm filling out all my paperwork to um, get access to new technology. There's um, my, my hope and dream is that um, as we're getting more natural language processing, more AI, more uh, machine learning, we can speed up that bureaucratic element, which is necessary to ensure that we have the integrity within our activities and mission. But it, frees, it would free us up to actually get to the actual mission, which is what I love to do the most. So, um, my hope and dream is that uh, we have essentially uh, bots taking care of all of the admin stuff around us, and then we can actually focus on the fun stuff, which is, of course, service. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, there is a lot of fun stuff. I have to say that that's the interesting thing about this technology is that, you know, on the one hand, we need to, you know, technology is a tool. You have to, it, it, it's neutral generally as, as far as you can use it for good things, you can use it for bad things, you could use it for useful things, you could use it for completely unuseful things. Uh, but at the same time, you, you kind of want to play with it. You kind of want to do some of the not so useful things. Because right. because you want to like especially some of this like especially some of this AI stuff like for example there's um this new tool now uh well this has been it's been around for a while a little bit a little bit but that basically could take spoken voice and videos and automatically translate them to another language but in your own voice which is always mm -hmm. kind of interesting how it does that and someone uh, did a really funny thing where they took uh, Celine Dion singing, you know, and the uh, Titanic song, Life Will Go On, and they translated it to like Finnish, and they translated it back to English. Oh, and nice. it's basically uh, this really weird version of her singing her own song in English, and it sounds terrible. <laughs> but uh, it's it's like, what is the purpose of that? The answer is like, well, you know, it's, it's just testing bounds and, you know, seeing things. But at the same time, it's the stuff that gets you thinking. You're like, well, Never thought about that before. Well, uh, I, I, yeah, we, we use augmented reality for uh, helping engineers overseas, you know, giving them advice. I, I put the goggles on and we'll we'll show you the arrows and then we'll tell you, you know, what, what knobs to turn. It'd be great if they heard like James Earl Jones come on and be like, you know, the Darth <laughs> Vader voice be like, that's right. You know, use the force. You know, just kind of turn that knob. Um, yes, it'd be, that would be wonderful if we could... <laughs> Use some of that for not you know to make the job more interesting, right? Exactly, more interesting. But at the at the same time, it's interesting. This this podcast not is not about AI ethics. We'll probably have you come back, and we will we could easily have another hour long conversation yeah. about that. That's for sure. But as you know, there's actually issues now with that. Uh, Tom Hanks is coming out and saying that's not me doing that commercial for that I don't know dentist thing or something mm -hmm. that 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 he's he's saying and. Yeah, it's just so easy now to do this. We tell everybody, don't believe anything you hear, see. 
or read or any of that stuff, um, which, of course, with State Department is an interesting challenge because here uh-huh. you are trying to collect data and at the same time, not just deal with issues of basic data quality, you know, and collection, but data authenticity. Right. Uh, that's a hard problem. You know, you have to be aware of your sources, but you can't trust all your sources. There's no easy answers to a lot of these things. I don't want to go into too much, but like, I don't know if you have, what, what is, what is your thoughts on this issue of authenticity and trying to come down to truth, whatever that means? The integrity of data, it's, it's essential for obviously its use and obviously for governance as well. Just like, Hey, am I going to use it? What's my level of confidence? Um, both in the data that we have, but then level of confidence in the outcome of your analytics or your analysis of that data. Um, it's it's kind of, for the Center for Analytics, we, we also talked about the idea that if we do a lot of analysis of certain things, we need to have part of our standard operating procedure uh, somewhere in the, the appendix highlighting what is your level of confidence of the outcome of this analysis. It's kind of like saying, hey, I'd like you to do an analysis of climate change, but hold any information about oil within your analysis. Don't put that in there. And then tell me tell me what the outcome is. And then when that outcome comes out, there should be something that says, hey, uh, the analysis or the, the analysts, their level of confidence on the outcome of this is, you know, two or <laughs> it's like 100% we 100% agree um but you need again you have to have that you need to have a process and governance in place where people can look at and say oh this is my level of confidence that tom hanks said that <laughs> or um when you're looking at data and then the outcome the the analysts or the analytics that are attributed derived from the data itself but yeah for ethics of ai there's two ways to look at it as well. And people tend to always uh, forget the second one. There's the ethics of applying AI to a situation. And then there's the ethics built within the AI itself and where the AI is now making a decision and whether that decision is ethical or not. That's another, that's another, that's another bucket that you can kick over. Um, but as you're, yes, you're looking at ethics for AI, those are two elements that most people, when they think of ethics, they are literally just thinking of, do, is it ethical to apply AI? But they aren't actually thinking about what is derived or put inside or embedded within the AI itself. So something to think about. Yes, lots to think about. And I think that this is a great place to end this podcast. I know that we could go on forever, but maybe this is just our opportunity to have you back at a later date. So with that, Landon, I want to thank you so much for being a guest today. Well, thank you very much. It was a thrill. It was fun. And I I got to see the videos. Everybody's got their, I know this is a podcast. People are listening, but there's actual videos that we're looking at as well, except for mine, because my video didn't work. Well, that is okay. Um, And yes, we did have such a wonderful time. So thank you for being able to share your insights with our audience. And we've got great resources if you're looking to get additional insights and details on the range of technology that we discussed in today's podcast and other topics as well. Check out our resources, books, courses, checklists, explainer videos, webinars, and more at govfuture.com slash resources, which we've tailored just for you, our GovFuture listeners. I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. 
Become a member if you are not already of GovFuture so that you can take advantage of all that this community has to offer, including access to a diverse network of government innovators, opportunities to collaborate with government agencies, exclusive access to events and resources, and a platform to have a voice in shaping the future of government innovation. To sign up, go to govfuture.com slash join. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. We've got great resources if you're looking to get more insights and details on a range of technology that we discussed in this podcast and other topics as well. Check out our resources, books, courses, checklists, explainer videos, webinars, and more at govfuture.com slash resources, tailored for our GovFuture listeners. Again, that's govfuture.com slash resources, and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. To view this episode's show notes, find additional episodes, subscribe to this podcast, and join the fastest growing community of government innovators, go to govfuture.com slash podcast. This sound recording and its contents are copyright GovFuture, all rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to the GovFuture podcast and catch you at the next episode.